I'm going to continue a series called Thankful with you. Would you consider yourself a thankful person? Don't say anything out loud. Because some of you might come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit even now because God is saying to you, I'm not as thankful. I've heard people say that through the years uh, in my Christian experience and in ministry, that I'm not as thankful, I'm not as grateful as I ought to be. And we all find ourselves in those places in our life. So no one is without a little bit of confession and repentance when it comes to uh, having an unthankful heart. All right, a little bit of trivia time. Are you ready for some trivia and get things going? Okay, if you're ready, say, yes, we're ready. Okay, the classic Christian song, thank you. The classic Christian song was, was written and sung by who? And let me give you a hint. It's not Bon Jovi or Maroon 5. Who is it? Ray Bolts. I want you to hear just the first, what do you call it, stanza, first verse. Would you play that for us? Listen to this song. It's a great song. So I listened to that song years and years ago when I first got born again at Liberty University. That's when that song was written. It was, it's been a while. That's why I called it a classic. And so every time I hear that song, I think about those people who influenced me with the gospel. I want you to think about that man or woman, that preacher, that person that influenced you. For me, it was Brad Marshall, football player in our high school. Saw a lonely, quiet, quiet shy kid uh, that was having a lot of family problems. And he said, I want you to go to church with me. Would you want to go? I said, do you have any good-looking girls there? And they said, he said, yes. And I said, I'll go. And that's how I went. But then God got a hold of me. So Brad Marshall and Tim Crunk, both of them, godly men, young men at the time. They're still godly men. And they're walking with the Lord. One of them is a pastor. Think about that person that influenced you. Is a name coming to you? Do you have a Brad or a Tim or somebody? Just say it out loud. I heard John Myrtle. Who in else? It wasn't Billy Graham or somebody? You were watching a crusade? Or it must have been somebody that influenced you, right? Co-worker? Anybody else? What's the name? Nice and loud. I got it. Got it. I heard that. Anybody in the back? What was that? Grant. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. You used to teach my Sunday school. 
uh, the things that we're doing in ministry are helping other people to know Jesus and having a thankful heart. I'm thankful for the song. It reminds me of uh, many, many things. So that's the title of our series in November is Thankful. I want to continue with that with you as we get into this message. We've already looked at being thankful in times of refinement, being thankful in times of refreshing. And for this morning, the title of the message is Thankful in Times of Restoration. Take your Bibles and go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, Old Testament, written by who? Who wrote in Deuteronomy? Anybody know? Yeah, it was Moses. I got all the Bible scholars sitting up the front. I don't hear you in the back. Not that you're not a scholar, I just can't hear you from back there. So you're going to have to say it quicker than the front section, because I want to hear from you guys in the back. Deuteronomy chapter 30, Moses is the, one of the greatest, if well, other than Jesus, maybe one of the greatest uh, leaders. Greatest men in the Bible was referred to by Jesus as who? They're one of the greatest men, if not the greatest man. Where'd you go to seminary? I mean, where'd you go to Bible school? <laughs> it was John the Baptist. So Moses is our author. He is the one writing. Let me give you a definition. You're going to see it on the screen. Here's the definition of to restore, to bring back, to return to former condition. This is what we're talking about here today. We're talking about being thankful in times of restoration, how God restores us, how he brings us back, and how he, what he does is he returns us to our former condition. And Brian is going to be returned to a former condition. You know, when the presence of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit is on somebody, uh, we believe, and I believe the scriptures teach that that person is secure. That person knows Jesus, and that's, that salvation has been secured. It's an inheritance that is undefiled and cannot fade away. It cannot fade away. In other words, Brian and, and the like, and all of us, although we might trip and fall and we might go wayward, hey, you know what? David went wayward, huh? He went wayward pretty bad, right? King David, and he, and he was still saved. He didn't lose his salvation. He was still born again. He still knew, knew the Lord and all of that. And so what we're going to look at is to return to former condition. Can I tell you a story? I like stories. <clears throat> Somebody in the training center in Chicago says, when we had to preach our messages, you do too many stories. I was like, well, I mean, it just kind of helps open up our understanding a little bit. So I want to give you a story. I had a friend. Uh, his name was Peter, and Peter uh, trained with a man named Steven Seagal. Does anybody know who Steven Seagal is? You got like, who do you got as far as? You got Jackie Chan, right, making movies. You got Bruce Lee. You got uh, Chuck Norris. Come on, good guys wear black. They always do, right? Amen. And then you got Steven Seagal. And so Peter studied and did karate with Steven Seagal for years out in Tibet or somewhere out there in the Far East. And so Peter and I were having a conversation, and he, he was really kind of like uh, almost anti-surgery. He didn't believe in that. In fact, he became a chiropractor, and that's what he did. And so Peter and I were having a conversation about a time he broke his foot. And so he went and got x-rays because he wanted to see what was going on in there. And so he asked the doctor after examining the x-rays, he saw where the bone was out of place, and he said to the doctor, do you have a pencil with an eraser on it? And the doctor said, well, yeah, I do. And so he took the pencil with an eraser, and he jabbed it into the bone and set it back in place on his own. And then he was up and walking within four weeks without surgery. Anybody's stomach going like... <laughs> Mine did too when I first heard that. In fact, I thought he was Rambo. I was like, man, that is the coolest story I've ever heard. This is what he did. He restored the bone to its former condition. <laughs> That's what he did. And so he did it with a pencil eraser. I don't know if I could do that. 
I want to give you some backstory a little bit. Moses is the author of the book of Deuteronomy. I want you to look at uh, chapter 29. We've got to get a little bit of a running start before we look at chapter 30, verses 1 to 10. And then I'm going to show you four ways that God restores us. It's wonderful. These are so good. And it's not good because I'm saying them. It's good because it's in the Word of God. And it's helpful. In fact, I prayed just recently. I said, God, these principles that you showed me out of these 10 verses, I, want, I just want them to start moving in my life right now. Keep them moving in my life. Chapter 29, look at this. These are the words of the covenant. Covenant is a promise that God makes. He establishes a covenant relationship with his people. And that's what he was doing with the children of Israel. And he's using Moses in a very big way to establish that covenant. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant that he had made with them at Horeb. God is a covenant-making God. He has established that covenant with you. If you're in Christ, if you're born again, you're converted, all of that means that God has made a covenant with you. He's always been a covenant-making God. But the problem with that is that we as a people don't necessarily always keep that promise back to him. Is that true? God is faithful to us. Are we faithful to him all the time? Yes or no? No. But God is a covenant-making God, and he's going down through this 29th chapter, you know, explaining all of this. And I want you to see some of these other verses here. Verse 2, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh. I mean, just remember this, people, he's saying. He is preaching this out. You got to remember where you were in Egypt. You got to remember what God did back then. You got to remember when he delivered you from the hand of Pharaoh. You got to remember when you were in 400 years of slavery. I made a covenant with you, and now I'm establishing this covenant, this relationship with you, and you got to keep my promises. You got you to stay with me, is what he's saying in this 29th chapter here. Look at verse 16. Jump down there. Moses goes on. He says, You know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. In other words, you saw what all these people were doing. You saw the, uh, you know, the sin. and You have seen their detestable things, Moses says. Their idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold, which were among them. He said in verse 18, look at it. Beware lest there be among you a man or woman, notice this, or a clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. You know, that's just not a word for Israel. That's a word for the church. Do you know the church is in the Old Testament? It's just not from Acts. The church is there. It's just called differently. It's the, it's the people of God. The people of God are the ones called out. Israel's called out a nation among other nations, and God has set his affections on Israel. He did not set his affections the same on all the nations of the world. He didn't do it. He chose Israel. We see that in Romans chapter 9, if you want to look at the divine election of God towards a nation. This is amazing because we were grafted in. Originally, it was Israel, and then they rejected their Messiah, and we've been grafted in as Gentiles. How wonderful is that? Is that something to be thankful for? That should be a hallelujah, amen on that one. And so look at verse 27. Jump down to the end of the 29th chapter. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the land, this land, bringing upon it all the curses written in this book. And the Lord, look at this, he uprooted them from their land in anger and fury and great wrath and cast them into another land as they are this day. It's a tough chapter. I mean, 29th chapter, we need to understand that Moses is laying out here the covenant. He's laying out the covenant. And the people of God are warned. They're saying, you know, do not go away to the other 
nations. Do not go away and do what they do. That's like a pastor saying to us as Christians, do not go the way of the world. Do not go the way of the world. That doesn't mean that, you know, you're supposed to, you know, have short hair and wear dress clothes all the time and not get a tattoo. It's not that. It's not the world. That's not what we're talking about. The world is worshiping false gods. And one of the greatest false gods that we can have is ourselves, right? And we go away from God, and we're not keeping that covenant, and he wants to bring us back. That's called restoration. He's bringing us back to our former condition. I want to look at that with you. There are four. You'll see the outline already if you have a handout. So we're getting a running start. Number one, in the restoring process, God gives this is wonderful. He gives to us just what we need when we need it. Do you believe that? Yes. This is wonderful. It's in the text. There's not a time when God isn't Adonai. He's, he's, he's always the master. He, he is always El Elyon, God most high. So there's these other gods that we sang about them. You know, these are false gods, but there is El Elyon, God most high. He's Adonai. And sometimes when I'm, I'm worshiping, I, I send out those Hebrew names for God. And I say, God, you're Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And I say to him, you're Jehovah Rophi, the God who heals me. And so when I'm worshiping, I'm saying, you're Adonai, you're the master. He's our benevolent father. He knows exactly what we need when we need it. This is a wonderful truth. He won't give you a stone if you ask for bread. He won't. In fact, he can't do that. That's how much, how wonderful he is and how perfect and faithful he is too. The Bible says that. Jesus himself said that in the Gospels. He won't give you a snake if you ask for a fish. He's a, keep, he's a covenant-keeping God. But we don't always keep the covenant back to him. In fact, we will break his promises over and over and over again. Would anybody say honestly that you broke maybe a promise of the Lord? He said do this, but you did the exact opposite this past week. Wow, we got a real guilty section over here, huh? <laughs> Is that why you're sitting so close? You need more of that anointing of the Lord? So what, God, what does God do when, when we end up like them over there? <laughs> no, I'm just like all of us. Like all of us. What does he do? He restores us. Well, he does this first. He refines us, right? Be thankful in times of refinement. And then, number two, be thankful in times of what? Remember last week? Refreshing. And now it's being thankful in times of restoration. Look at verse 29 of chapter 29. I want you to see this. This is the first point. I'm still trying to prove it from Scripture for you. He says this, the secret things belong to the Lord. Are you with me where I'm at? If you are, just say a nice, loud amen from the back to the front. The secret things belong to the Lord. Don't you hate when somebody has a secret and they won't tell you? Does that bother anybody? <laughs> Because you want to know. Aren't you the kind of person that you just want to know? you got to know everything, right? And so we watch like 24 hours worth of news because we need to know what's going on in our world. It makes us feel safe. It makes us feel in control. We need to know. And it's hard to, to, to understand that when God says, I'm not giving you this, and you're going to be walking through dark times and deep waters or things like Michelle's going through and what Al's going through, and you're walking through that, and you're like, God, give me a word. Give me a word. Speak a word. And he says nothing. He says nothing to you. It's not because he doesn't love you. Because he's doing something to your character. He's doing something to you inside. He wants that faith to be stronger than it's ever been. Listen, he's our father. You, you ask for bread, he's going to give you bread. He's not going to give you a stone. 
The enemy's gonna say, you can have a stone. That's what your father wants to give you, a stone and a snake. That's a lie. Don't listen to that lie. The secret things belong to the Lord. There are some things he's not gonna give you in the moment. There are some things because his ways are what? What's the Bible say? They're higher than our ways. Have you ever seen that verse before? I'm telling you when, you, when the light switch goes off and your life starts to crumble around you and you're gonna want some light and God's not gonna turn on the light right away because he wants you to walk with him. It's like, and you're just walking through that darkness and you're like, Lord, would you hold on to me? And, and you're like grabbing a hold of him. Lord, would you hold on to me because I can't see? What's he doing? He's training you. He's changing your character. You're not gonna know everything. The secret things belong to the Lord. This is what Moses says. It's right there. You don't need to know everything all the time. Does anybody struggle with that? Does anybody here wanna be a self-confessed Facebook stalker? Right here, right here. Come on, you know who you are. <laughs> We're gonna start a support group, a harvest group for Facebook stalkers. Because you're, you're just on there looking to find out where they get their coffee from. I mean, it's like Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts. I mean, you're, you're doing all kinds of stalking. To, 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 you wanna know what's going on. It's something inside of us where we have, to, we have to know all things. Listen, we don't know all things. Only God knows all things. We need to stop being God. And God's gonna say to you, don't be God. I can do it. I'm good. <laughs> I can handle this job. You don't need to take my job from me. But the secret things belong to the Lord. I wanna look at the rest of verse 29. This is wonderful. Would you take your eyes to the rest of verse 29 of chapter 29? but the things that are revealed belong to us. Look at that. There are things that God is revealing in his time with his wisdom, but he wants us to wait for it. You ever heard that little phrase, wait for it? Wait for it. Nobody else heard that before? Wait for it. Don't you hate that? I don't wanna wait for it. I don't wanna wait. I hate waiting. I don't wanna wait for it. Wait for it. Would anybody say you're honestly a good waiter? <laughs> I can't see anybody's hand. Nobody's good at waiting. We don't like waiting. We need to know what's going on all the time. Notice the rest of the verse. To do all the, the, work, the works of the Lord. To do all the words of the law. Obedience, faithfulness to his covenant. This is what he's, he's doing. He wants us to understand that he has, he has brought together this relationship between him and us, him and his church, and Listen, when we need it, he's gonna, he's gonna give us that word. I wanna show you some verses in Psalm 23.3. You'll see them on the screen. Psalm 23.3, what's it say? What's it got? He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. It's always about his name. It's verticality. It's always about him. It's first. It's not about us. It's always about him. And when we get to the place where we can actually say in the midst of what we're going through, God, it's all about you. It's all about you. Manifest your glory then you're gonna find yourself uh, really in a good place spiritually. Here's another one in the Psalms, Psalm 30 and verse three. Oh Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. There are people going down to the pit. There are people that reject Jesus all the time. Some of those people you might work with, you might know they're your neighbors. Uh, their destination is not so good. Your destination in Christ is gonna be really spectacular. And he's restoring our life. Let's see what he does. Here's another one. 41.3, the Lord sustains him on his sick bed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. Even on your sick bed, those of you that have uh, the physical afflictions going on, God is in the process of restoring you. What, what do you mean? 
Well, he's gonna first restore your relationship with him. Faith that needs to be stronger, he's gonna do that. All those other things, those things inside of your soul, that's his priority. His priority is not your body. That's not the priority. The priority is your relationship with him. That's what he's going after first. Does that make any sense? We gotta be careful that we're, we're focusing too much external, it's more internal. I love this, even on a sickbed. Amy Carmichael, who's a great missionary. Anybody familiar with Amy Carmichael? You might have read some books. Uh, she was on a, a sickbed. I think it was 20 years. 20 years on a sickbed. Does anybody sense thankfulness inside of your heart right now? Because you're not on a sickbed. And she was a godly woman. God used her from that sickbed. Be thankful in times of, here's another one, one more. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Anybody ever lost the joy of their salvation before? Right? You want that back? God will restore that. That's what he'll do. This is what he does. Number two, let's look at a second point here. Now we're gonna move into chapter 30. Number two, God goes to great lengths to position us right where we need to be. This is wonderful. You see this all throughout scripture. Jesus was repositioned when he was a child. Does anybody know what nation he went to when he was just a baby? Egypt. He was repositioned in Egypt because Herod was out to do what? Worship him? No, out to kill him. So the angel warned Joseph, and they took Joseph. They took, or took Jesus down to Egypt until Herod was dead. And then the angel said, you can come back. And then they ended up in Nazareth. How about some other people that were positioned? How about the apostle Paul? Did you know that after his conversion, he was positioned by God in the Arabian desert? In other words, uh, sometimes you're going to go to the desert, and God's going to put you there. And you're going to be like, whoa, it is dry here, and I am thirsty and I'm getting a sunburn real bad. But that's God. God did that to Paul. He positioned him. Here's another one. How about Joseph? God, God went to great lengths to position Joseph. Where would he end up for 13 years? Do you remember that place? Potiphar's prison. Potiphar's prison. I've been to prison. I understand prison. Not the kind with bars, thankfully. But I've been to other prisons where you feel like you're never going to get out. You feel trapped. You feel hopeless, right? Anybody else been in a prison like Joseph? You were positioned for that. Who put Joseph in the prison? You're saying it was, it was Potiphar's wife that put him there. Was it really? Who put him there? God put him there. Who put Jesus on the cross, the Jews or the Romans? Who? It was God that put him there. We have got to get this theology right. It's called theology of suffering. That God is restoring us and he's using all of these things in our life and he's repositioning some of you. He puts you in places like he did his own son. Right where we need to be. You're saying it's not where I need to be. It is where you need to be. Don't chafe against the Lord on that one. He wants you to go, okay, God, yes, this place, it's hard, it's dark, it's difficult. This is the place that you have positioned me for. Can I tell you a story about Jonathan Edwards? You'll see a picture of him on the screen. Jonathan Edwards. Notice. Probably, they say, one of the greatest minds in American history. Certainly one of the greatest theologians in the Christian church. Jonathan Edwards pastored in Northampton, Massachusetts for 23 years, faithful to the word of God. 
He loved Jesus more than I ever will in this lifetime. If I could just get this much of the love of, for Jesus that Jonathan Edwards had, I'd be like, I'd be thankful for the crumbs that fall off your table. This man did a great work. He was part of the Great Awakening. Throughout New England, the word of God went out from Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, and they partnered up, and the spirit fell on New England. And people started getting converted and born again, and his church started to thrive. It was a big church, about 1,000 people in the town of Northampton. And it wasn't a big town that, in those days. But with the growth came some weirdness. And this is what happens in churches. When churches grow, weirdness happens. And there were some people in his congregation and Edwards was a man of conviction. He was a man who believed that the Lord's table was meant for those who were showing signs of conversion, that were showing a lifestyle of, of godliness because people were coming to the table in an inappropriate way. He believed these things. And then there were some people in the church that got kind of strange, and they were called hyper-spiritual people. And they started to whisper about Jonathan Edwards. They started to talk behind his back, and they lost he lost credibility with them. He lost change in his pocket. All of a sudden, you had these people rising up within his own congregation, coming against him, and eventually they said to Jonathan Edwards, the man that God used in the Great Awakening, we don't want you as our pastor anymore. Had about 11, 12 kids. I think it was 11 kids. Didn't know where he was going to go. They basically fired this man. So they couldn't find anybody to fill his pulpit. Do you know what Jonathan Edwards did? He filled in for a year for them. I'd say that's a godly man. You imagine how hard that one might have been, preaching to the people that fired you? So he's wondering, what am I going to do after that year's up? He had no other ministry, and he was praying and searching the, the heart of the Lord for his life. And God repositioned Jonathan Edwards in Stockbridge, Massachusetts, at an Indian outpost. Now, these are like Indians. I mean, they're not well-educated. Now you got one of the most educated men in, in history, American, at least colonial America, for sure. Now he's with Indians. But it was interesting because when God did this with Jonathan Edwards, he went to Stockbridge, and there he would have the time to write some of the greatest works that the Christian church has been enjoying for 300 years. He didn't know that. Northampton, he's saying, how am I going to feed my kids? And he's probably wrestling with the Lord on all of this. But when he gets to Stockbridge and he starts writing all of these books that I have read and have blessed me and thousands upon thousands of people, he started to realize, wait a minute, this is, this is God. God's doing this. God went to great lengths to position Jonathan Edwards right where he needed to be. Can I show you the text of Scripture? Go here. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 30. And when all these things come upon you, Moses says, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Listen, God is the one that drove God is the one driving Jonathan Edwards to, to Stockbridge, as hard as that must have been. And God is driving you from where you are to where you need to be. This is part of his restoring process. He's bringing you back to a former condition, maybe a better place spiritually. 
This is a wonderful truth here. It's like God is the divine Uber, right? Anybody taken an Uber before? I've only taken it one time in Chicago. I've taken taxis before. And so when you get into a taxi or an Uber, typically you have a conversation with the driver and the driver's gonna bring you to a great destination. It's the destination that you wanna go. Would you please take me to so-and-so? We were going to you know, a place that's really cool in Chicago and so would you take us there? Now if you're in a conversation with your Uber driver and your taxi driver and you just so happen to ask their name and they mention that their last name is Bin Laden you know, or, or Dahmer, you know, and you're thinking to myself, oh, this is not gonna be a nice ride. I am going to a destination that's not gonna be so good, right? I got a picture. Do I have a picture of that? Let's bring that up, that picture next. Throw that up there of the ghetto. What do we got? Yeah. So uh, my Uber driver takes me there. In Chicago, I'd be like, okay. You know, so I'd rather be at places like this. Show the next one. Look at this. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that make you feel a lot better? There's a big difference between the first picture and the second picture. Listen, God is driving his people. He's the one that's doing it here. He's the one that's behind it here. And when you get going with the Lord and you trust that he is leading you and providing all of the things necessary to get to, to get to this good destination. When you get to that destination, you'll look back and you'll go, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Let's keep going through the text. You call them to mind, obey his voice. Moses goes on to say, with all of your heart and all of your soul. We just read that. Circle the word all if you have a pencil or something to write with, maybe a highlighter. If you can do that in your Bible, God will be okay with you highlighting a page in your Bible. Circle that word all. And this is what God does. But here's the scope of this. It's, it's an unbelievable because your children is mentioned there. This is a big, big deal here. Your children is mentioned. In other words, when God is having you in the, this place of restoration, it's gonna affect your kids. In other words, what's happened to you, mom, where God is doing something really cool in your life, it's gonna spill over onto your kids. Guys, if you're a father, you know, times of restoration for you is gonna spill over into your children. It's a wonderful promise. It's a, it's a family affair. How about that? It's a family affair. Do you remember that TV show? Let's go back to some trivia here. Why don't you bring that up, Zach? What do we have? Yeah, there they are. Okay, a little trivia time. Does anybody remember the names of the kids? Anybody remember the names of the kids? Weren't you allowed to watch TV when you were a kid? Yeah, it's Buffy and Jody. And then, this is for the big prize right here. Can anybody remember the name of the doll? <laughs> Mrs. Beasley. Some are like, you got me on Family Affair. I do not know what you're talking about. It's a family affair. God is driving us. He's in control. This is where we're going. The destination is going to be good. It's always good. And you know, he's doing that for our church too. He's doing it for our church. Who brought us to the fox? Yeah. So God opened a way for us to be at the fox. Uh, are we going to be at the fox for the long haul? We don't know. Don't let, don't let that make you nervous though because it closed down. Every time we go by the fox, I says, thank you for the memories. It's like, is that a message to harvest? I mean, it could go into our head, right? 
God is the one that's leading this church. We don't have to worry. He's going to provide. He is the one driving us. Number three, let's continue through this. God gathers us back and puts us into a better place. This is what he's doing. Number three, God gathers us back and he puts us into a better place. This is verses three to five. Can you look at the text with me? Then the Lord your God will restore, there we go, he'll restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will do what? What's it say? He will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Who scattered them? Yeah, God did that. I don't understand that. It's the sovereignty of the Lord. They disobeyed, but God scattered them. You have to have both of those truths. They're both in Scripture. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, watch this, verse 4. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will do what? Gather you. And from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed and that you may possess it and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. Number three, this is what he's doing. He's gathering us. He's gonna restore us, and we're gonna have much more than we had before. This is covenant promise. This is what he does. God scattered them. Now God gathers them back. Verse four, I've already read it to you. If you're outcast, are in the uttermost parts of heaven. This is, this is, you're out there, man. You're remote. You've wandered from the Lord. You are far from him. And man, I, in the years of ministry, I've seen people far from God and God brings them, gathers them back. Listen, God, God is gathering and restoring his people. This is what he does. But you might feel that you're at the uttermost parts of heaven. Hear what the writer Moses is saying. I understand remoteness. I got a picture of my family. We lived in the remote. My dad got a transfer. Can we throw that picture up there, please? This is where we lived. If you look down here, this was our house. This is, we lived in the uttermost parts of, some of you are like, really? No, I'm just kidding. That's not where I lived. But I, you guys are too believe. Okay. No, this is, I don't know who that is, but they're the uttermost parts. This is symbolic of our lives spiritually because some of you feel like you're the uttermost parts of heaven and you've been far from the Lord. Do you know what he's doing? He's restoring you. He's gathering you back. Can you say that to the Lord? It's like the Lord has gathered me back. I was far from him. And now I'm closer to him than I ever been. I know some of you have that testimony. You've told me that. It's a wonderful thing. You're in a time of restoration. Be thankful for this time. Be thankful. We all have the nature to gather. When we're kids, we're gathering. We have a, a picture here. If you'll throw that up, Zach. Here, here's somebody that, look at this. I'm gathering, gather, gather. Isn't she a cutie, though? But do you ever remember doing that? It's like you gather. You just bring it all to yourself. It's in our nature, but it certainly is not a sinful, fallen nature for God. And so God is gathering his people. Psalm 147, verse 2, notice it. The Lord builds up Jerusalem and he gathers the outcasts of Israel. This is what he's gonna do. He's gonna call the Jewish people back to Israel. I got a phone call from a, a Jewish lady years and years ago, and she was calling from Jerusalem. And she said to me, are you a Christian? I said, yes, I am a Christian. Then you need to get back here. I was like, where? Jerusalem. I was like, Jerusalem, like Pennsylvania? Or is that Bethlehem, Pennsylvania? I was like, where are you calling from? She wanted me to go to Jerusalem. She believed that all Christians, not just Jews, but all Christians should get on a plane like then and head back to Jerusalem. 
Now, there's some truth to all of that where the people of God are going to be regathered to the nation. I'm not saying that that's for me or for the church. But God is a gathering God. He gathers the outcast. I pray that you hear that this morning because some of you maybe are feeling far from the Lord. And you're like, wow, I feel like I'm in that remote place, in that little bungalow in the middle of nowhere. How do I get back? God's going to make sure you come back. He makes sure all of those who are truly converted come back. He does. That's what he does. That's his nature. Number four, and finally, God gets a hold of our hearts and he changes everything. This is verses six to 10. Can we look at there? I'm going to try to read this. I need to get that light that Ralph has. This is harder. The older I get, I can't see. Verse six, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. Look at it and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Circle that all again if you have that pencil or highlighter. And with all of your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all of his commandments that I have commanded you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and all these other blessings and promises Verse 10, when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with what? With all of your heart and with all of your soul. God gets a hold of your heart. This is what he's going after the most. He's going after your heart. So when you're going through some tough times and you feel like your heart is broken, And I felt that a lot through the years. God, my heart's broken. Why are you doing this, God? Because I want all of your heart, Chris. I'm trying to get all of you. For those of you that are going through this season that's really hard, he prayed over you. What's he after? He's after your heart. There's still places of our heart that aren't fully given over. John Calvin, one of my heroes, has some of the greatest quotes. I have four of them. I want you to see what John Calvin, the reformer, lived in Geneva a long time ago in the 16th century. Can we look at John Calvin, some of these quotes here? Watch this. These are wonderful. To be pure in heart is to take no delight in cunning, but converse sincerely with men and express nothing by word or look which is not felt in the heart. Another one. The human heart is a factory of idols. Every one of us is, from his mother's womb, an expert in inventing idols. That's pretty deep. That's pretty profound. When God designs to forgive us, he changes our, what? Our hearts, and he turns us to obedience by his spirit. Because I know that I am not my own master. I offer my heart as a true sacrifice to the Lord. This is, I did a message when we first started here, I don't know, a year and a half ago, and I used this as an illustration of a hard heart. And so this is, this is representative of a lot of the Old Testament people of God. They got a hard heart, and God said, I'm gonna take your hard heart, and I'm gonna put a heart of flesh in there. And so that's what God does in our conversion. And then after that, sometimes our heart can still get a little bit hard, right? And this is what Calvin is talking about. Calvin is saying things like this. You know, God is after our heart more than anything. 
So when we present our heart to him, he takes that hard heart and he starts to soften it again. Brian's heart. God, would you soften Brian's heart again? Because something happened to cause it to get hard. And it's just not him. It's many in the Christian church. How about we do that? How about we present to God our hearts? And we say, like Calvin was talking about, it's a, it's a factory of idols. It makes a lot of idols, my heart does. But I want it, Lord, I want my heart to be given back to you as an act of worship. He's trying to get your heart. You're saying, but my heart has been broken by my dad who abused me. My heart has been broken by a family member. My heart has been broken and betrayed by someone that's a Christian or a pastor. I'm not giving my heart to anyone. Can I just encourage you? We're getting ready to sing a song. Can I just encourage you? If that is your story, and it's a story of about 98% of people, you're going to have to get to that place. God, this is scary. I don't really want to do this. But I know that I need to. Some of you, your heart, you're feeling it inside. And there's places of your heart you have given over to the Lord. And you're having like these flashbacks. My dad who did this, my uncle who did this, or my spouse who left me, and, and, and my heart now, I guard, I don't give my heart to anybody. You're going through what you're going through because he wants all of your heart. And he's not gonna take your heart and crush it. He's gonna take your heart and heal it. Do you want that healing today? Let's all stand. God, we pray in Jesus' mighty name that you would continue to do mighty works by your spirit and the word of God in all of our lives. We want to say to you that we're thankful in times of restoration. You're restoring, you're bringing us back to former conditions. We pray, Lord, that you would just open us up, open us up to trust you, to take steps of faith. I see Peter getting out of the boat when the storm was raging and he went to walk on water. And the other apostles just stayed in the boat, probably holding on to for dear life. But Peter got out. I pray that people will get out of the boat and trust you with their heart. You're trying, as Calvin said, to, to get it all. You want all of us. Can I ask you, just with a raising of the hand, I just feel like I need to do this. Does anybody say, you know what? Yeah, that's me. That's me. And I want my heart soft again. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Don't feel ashamed about that. This is the family of God, as Andy said. This is where the Spirit of the Lord is moving mightily to change us and to bring us back. Some of you, you need to come back. I see your hand behind Dave. It's hard to see behind Dave because he's so big. There he is. I see the hand peeking up over his shoulder. Lord, thank you for your goodness and mercy. Thank you for your word. Moses, speaking obviously directly to the children of Israel, still has application to us, the church today. And so, Lord, we, we just want to say to you, thank you for restoring us. We're thanking you now in the midst of all of it because you're definitely bringing us to better places. You're repositioning us. And you never, you're never not going to give us what we need. 
it might be dark for a while and it might be silent for a while, but in your time, in your wisdom, you're going to speak and you're going to lead. And you're going to show us the way. Help us to sing this song as an act of worship and consecration to you in Jesus' mighty name. Let's sing his praise.